From today through Easter, we begin a new sermon series based on a composite of Jesus' teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It is within our nature as humans to choose comfort over challenge and security over risk. Yet Jesus issues a call for his followers to step out of their comfort zones and leave behind their false sense of security in order to live out a faith that is courageous, costly, and consistent with the gospel and the reality of God's rule in this world. This invitation is echoed again in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, when Jesus says, <clears throat> If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. It takes courage to be a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> If you're not sure that's true, then, then I invite you to join us in seriously considering Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount in the coming weeks and months. We'll start today with the first 12 verses from Matthew 5, as read for us by Patrice Freire. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were, who were before you. Jesus' teaching opens with a series of Beatitudes, which are brief statements of blessing, phrased in simple words that carry profound meaning. Our most common use of the word bless is heard when someone sneezes. Invariably, a person nearby will say, God bless you, or bless you. It's a courteous expression, wish wishing someone good health or fortune. The implied wish or invocation is for the person to be well and not the victim of an oncoming illness. I received a similar expression in written form recently. A good friend wrote in his closing salutation to me, Be blessed, brother. Short for, may you, my brother in Christ, be the recipient of God's blessing. Two words in Hebrew and two corresponding Greek words in the Bible carry the meaning of blessing. 
One is this common form of a wish or invocation as used in prayer. Lord, bless all those who are sick. Bless our children. Bless families who have been affected by COVID. Jesus' use of bless in the Beatitude conveys a different meaning than this. The Greek word makarios describes an existing state of being or spiritual condition already present. Rather than asking for something to happen, it affirms a quality that already exists. This is what makes Jesus' Beatitudes so distinct and challenging to interpret. Jesus affirms that someone whose life situation or state of being we might think undesired and unwanted is in fact blessed. What appears to us to be a contradiction of reality is to Jesus an indication of the very person who is ready to enter God's kingdom. Thus, someone who is poor in spirit is blessed. Not they will become blessed when they cease to be poor in spirit. Rather, they are the ones who yearn for God above all else. Those who mourn are blessed, not because their mournings will soon come to an end, but they are blessed to know God is with them and for them in the midst of their sorrow. Jesus' presence enacts the blessings of God's rule. All who believe him, who receive and participate in God's salvation and God's intervention are called blessed. Now at the kingdom's inauguration with Jesus, first coming, and at its consummation when he returns in glory. Matthew presents nine Beatitudes of Jesus, five more than appear in Luke. Each of the nine focus on a characteristic of a person described as blessed, followed by a description of how they are blessed in the second line. These are not conditional statements, as in, blessed are the people who do X because they will receive Y. They are not calling forth or expecting a certain type of behavior, nor is the second line a reward for the first line. Instead, they are declarative statements of grace. The first statement describes a present state that already exists, while the second describes how the person is able to affirm life is good. This reminds me of statements we've heard senior high students make upon returning from a week-long mission trip of building homes in Tijuana, Mexico. As students interact with the village children whom they consider to be impoverished by what they lack or live without, the students soon realize the children they've come to serve have something important to teach them. Students express their surprise to find how happy the children are and how content they are. In turn, the children teach the students an important lesson of the difference between needs and wants. If stated as a beatitude, it might sound something like this. Blessed are the village children of slum areas of Tijuana because they have what they need and want what they have. 
The children are happy because they have family who love them. They have visitors who've come to befriend them and a new life experience they can enjoy. The first four Beatitudes describe what kingdom-ready people are like. They are not those who force God's will upon a world unprepared for it, but rather humbly and patiently wait for God to act. They depend on God and their orientation is directed toward God. They are humble and know God's favor is with those who trust him rather than their own strength. People who are economically disadvantaged, vulnerable, and spiritually depleted. We who live in a developed country know little to nothing of what it means to hunger and thirst for life's basic necessities. But among the poor, which included most of the population in Jesus' lifetime, access to water and food security was a daily concern. These are the people the prophet Isaiah describes in chapter 61. Poor people, humble people, pious people, people who are desperate for God's help, people to whom Jesus announces God's favor, the ones who have ears to hear because their need for good news is great. First and foremost, Jesus says what characterizes this kingdom of God world is God's grace given as a blessing. It's not a result of our efforts, nor an inherent right we might claim, nor some form of reward or compensation for what we've endured. It is God's gift for those who need it. It is not for those who rely on their own initiative to find happiness, who count on their own resources to achieve satisfaction, nor those whose spiritual pride convinces them God owes them something in return. Rather, it is for those who are poor in spirit. It's not for those who discount emotions and vulnerability as a sign of weakness, or those who mask hurt and pain to put forth a positive front, or those who refuse support in order to go it alone. Rather, it is for those who mourn. The kingdom of God is not for those whose aggression beats out all others, nor for those who benefit from positions of privilege and power, nor those whose associations and influence wins them favor. Rather, it is given to the meek. It is not for those who overcome wrongs with smooth talk and superficial deals, nor those who offer promises that go unmet or whose appetites are conditioned by consumer culture. Rather, God's rule is for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The blessings God gives are for those who put their trust in God to provide, to elevate and enliven the poor in spirit, to comfort and heal those who mourn, to make managers and leaders of the meek, and to put right the relationships and goodwill of those who have been mistreated or wronged. Jesus' teaching about what is involved in a world ruled by God 
is what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about. As one commentator put it, Jesus is training us to live not in reaction to our sin and guilt, not in response to people stronger than we are, not in desperation by any means at hand, not to survive in a sea of cynicism and solace, and malice, pardon me, and certainly not to live ego, egocentrically with the self as center and master, but to live in response to the reality of God's rule and to live by faith and love. It takes courage to be a follower of Jesus, courage to get in step with someone whose first words are, follow me, courage to say yes to Jesus and no to the world, courage to obey commands that are hard, courage to speak truth to power in order to right wrongs, courage to choose the best when the world settles for far less and courage to accept rejection, persecution, and a cross in our identification with Jesus. And finally, courage to admit our need for God and submit ourselves to God's rule of our lives and of this world. May you be blessed with the courage you need to faithfully follow Jesus. Amen.